Uh, welcome to the uh, State of PropTech and uh, Venture Capital Industry virtual event. Uh, my name is um, Faisal Hadi. I'm a Senior Vice President at uh, JLL Consulting um, based in New York. Uh, so before, before we, uh, um, uh, we begin, I just wanted to uh, extend my gratitude to, to the following groups. Um, the first is the Berman Group. Um, thank you for all your hard work in coordinating this event today and answering my uh, 101 questions. Um, second is our Cornet sponsors, which you saw earlier. Um, uh, you know, without their continuous support, um, really, we, we really can't put these events together. So they're really responsible for bringing us all together and talking about these amazing topics. Um, thirdly, the New York PropTech uh, Committee, especially uh, Brigitte and Dan uh, for being awesome chairs and, and leaders. Uh, and thanks to all of you for um, attending today. And finally, uh, a big, big thank you to our uh, all-women uh, speakers today, uh, Maureen, Sophia, and Megan, who um, I've had the pleasure to, to work with in preparing some of this content today. Um, and thank you for being sort of my prop tech teacher and your patience over the last few weeks. So thank you for that. Um, so before I uh, pass over to Maureen, um, I just would, I would want to sh share with you a few quick insights um, from my experience with clients. Um, you know, during the pandemic, three things are becoming quite clear. Um, the first is uh, this pandemic has accelerated, um, has acted as an accelerant to the digital transformation. And actually, McKenzie has found that um, the digital adoption acceleration is seven years globally uh, and six years in North America. And this is all just looking at the, just the last year. Um, the second is that employees from the tenant side will and uh, landlord side will definitely have a big say and be empowered on what this sort of digital enabled future of work will look like, uh, especially in today's really hot job market, if that sort of continues. Um, and finally, um, the, the critical skill sets of today will be the, the soft skills um, for today and tomorrow. So, you know, deep listening, being curious and, and having that sort of continuous thirst to learn. And I think this is why to me, this session is so important, right? So the, the way the speakers have structured this is really for you to, to learn the basics, right? Of prop tech and venture capital, but also talk a little about where we are today and where this industry might go in the future. So I really hope that you find it insightful, you find it valuable uh, as I have. Um, so one thing I encourage you to do is to exercise deep listening, uh, ask questions by using the, the chat function in Zoom. Um, we baked in time in the end to answer those questions. So if you think of something, just put it in and I'll bring it up at the end. Um, so, and feel very, very comfortable uh, to ask any questions that you can think of. So without further ado, um, over to you, Maureen, to get us going. Thanks, Faisal, appreciate it. Uh, welcome everyone. Uh, we're very excited to be here with you today to talk about the state of prop tech and the VC industry. Just going to share with you our deck for today. Okay, I think hopefully everyone can see it. Uh, thumbs up if you can. 
Um, we're going to kick off by uh, jumping into uh, just the, the quick agenda review. Uh, well, we decided to rather than to give you a traditional panel, which I'm hope I'm hopeful that you all are as bored of as we have been, is give you something different, which is kind of really being a co-presenter, the three of us around the topics that we've heard back from you and Faisal has, has shared um, that are most interesting to you for us to cover today around prop tech and the VC industry. Um, we, we would love for you to give us questions along the way in the chat box at the bottom of the screen, as Faisal mentioned, and we'll certainly leave time at the end of, of this session for questions as well. So going to kick right off and uh, do quick introductions of the three co-presenters. I'll start with myself, Maureen Waters. I'm a partner at Metaprop, a venture capital firm based in New York, uh, focused on early stage startups. And we are the largest in the early stage space. Uh, and we'll talk more about each of the firms that uh, we work with and for um, in, in just a few minutes, but I'll leave it there and pass off here to Megan. Thanks, Maureen. Um, hey, everyone. I'm Megan Riley um, with the JLL Spark team based in San Francisco, although I am currently a digital nomad. Um, I won't bore you with my background too much, but it's a mix of working for startups, working with startups, investing in startups. I also had a short stint in politics, um, but then was Spark for about two years and excited to talk to you all today. Uh, hi, everyone. My name is Sophia. Uh, I'm an investor at 9.4 Ventures, um, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But my personal background is in real estate development. So I worked in development here in New York, which is where I'm based uh, for a few years before going to business school and kind of jumping over to the venture side. I actually started my career uh, on, on the tech side at Metaprop, um, which is where Maureen's at, uh, and made my way over to 9.4 a couple years back. Um, and excited to, to talk to you all today. Thanks, Sophia. Um, so we'll jump right in. And the first, um, you know, kind of section we have for you today is really focusing on uh, the world of a VC, a venture capitalist, and, and what does that role look like? Um, so we're going to start here with really um, kind of explaining that world, and then we'll go a little bit deeper into each of our worlds. But really, we feel that, you know, if being a VC in, in today's world um, with the 10,000 plus startups that we have seen today is really a, a bit of bridging the gap between the real estate and tech. And, you know, I think that you, you'll see here on the screen that the tech startups really are looking for venture capitalists in order to bridge that gap and get, you know, more engaged with uh, their customers, whether they're occupiers, investors, or, or specific service providers. But basically, we, it is our role to really provide that, that resource, the cap, whether it's capital or um, kind of, you know, kind of strategic resources or, you know, kind of helping them um, build a plan to accelerate their growth. Uh, you know, that's really the world in which we live in in, in, in each day um, and, and helping those, uh, those startups. From the standpoint of um, our, each of us individually, 
Um, we, we all in the, the VC world, a little bit different, each of us has a little bit of a different role and I thought it'd be helpful for us to go a, a little bit deeper on the, each of our roles. I'll start with Metaprop, as I mentioned earlier, early stage prop tech investor, largest in that space with 140 plus um, portfolio companies in, in our portfolio. 140 million uh, in AUM. We we have historically and today uh, spend all of our time on pre-seed to A, which is the earliest of, of prop tech you know startups. And so um, you know we see 200 plus a month today, which is a pretty significant number in the real estate space. Uh, again, you know we'll we'll talk a minute about specifically how to define prop tech, but I'll pass it off here to Megan again to talk a little bit about JLL Spark. Sweet, thanks. Um, for those that don't know, JLL Spark is the venture arm of JLL, so we're a corporate um, venture capital vehicle, a CVC, some will call us. Um, we invest in early to mid stage uh, startups. Our first fund is $100 million. Because we're a CVC, all of the money that we're investing is JLL's money. So it comes directly off of JLL's balance sheet. That is unique to a CVC and unique out of this group of um, VCs that we're talking about today. Um, another thing that's unique about us, and this is really unique to CVCs, but we're not just investing for return. Obviously, return a return on our investment is great, but we're really uh, looking to make an impact on JLL and our core business. That means, um, are we improving our service delivery model through these investments? So are these startups actually selling to JLL so that we can better serve our clients? And then in some cases, um, are, are we helping them sell directly to our clients? So we serve as a channel. Oftentimes we actually resell and we have commercial agreements with our startups as well. Um, and last thing I'll say is we invest for JLL Fit. And that's basically anything that touches the commercial real estate lifecycle we would invest in. Um, so we are not specialized. And uh, you, if you look at our investments, we we really, it kind of runs the gamut. So Sophia, you want to take it oh, away? Wait, just one second, Megan, could you just please describe this, what you mean by CVC in case uh, folks on, on with us don't understand uh, the Yeah, so it's, it's a corporate VC. And, and like I said before, it's, um, we don't have any outside investors. It's JLL. In this case, it's JLL's money. There's tons of CVCs out there. Not a ton in the commercial real estate space, but in other industries there are. Um, so no outside investors, all balance sheet capital. It's really JLL saying we are investing in the future of technology. We know we can't build everything. We know we need to partner. We need to invest. Um, so this is our way of, of um, ensuring that we are we are uh, innovating and thinking long-term for our clients. But again, no outside investors, all JLL money. That's typically what a CVC is. Thank you. So, Thanks, yeah. Megan. Um, so as I mentioned, I work at 9-4 Ventures. So obviously we're a real estate uh, focus, tech-focused venture fund. Um, so what does that mean? Uh, it means we invest across the real estate life cycle. So from you know, search and discovery to design and build to property management, all the way through sales, marketing, amenities, and everything in between. Um, what makes us maybe a little bit different than, than some of the others is in our definition of prop tech, personally, um, we include the industries that sell to and through real estate, such as, you know, uh, finance, insurance, maintenance, and some others. Um, and to that end, we're actually backed by institutions that touch all of those. So 
uh, to name a few, Valley Bank, um, State Farm Insurance, Ace Hardware. Uh, so a little bit different than JLL, who's investing off balance sheet. We take outside capital from what we call LPs or, or limited partners. Um, and we were actually founded by an owner operator himself. So my partner, Jeff Elo, who's the founding partner of the fund, um, he's actually the CEO and founder of the Laramar Group which is a national institutional multi-billion dollar real estate owner operator based in Chicago. So when we are making investments, we lean on uh, Jeff and his team at the Laramar Group a lot to help us um, you know, test a lot of technology in his properties. Uh, and he's got any, anything from office to multifamily to uh, senior housing to retail and, and a bunch of other asset classes as well. So. We're asset class agnostic, and, and we're also stage agnostic, which is, uh, as Maureen mentioned, Metaprop is early stage. We can kind of catch you early, uh, middle, or, or even a little bit later up to series C, um, which is kind of middle to late stage. Awesome. Thanks, Sophia. So hopefully, as you can see, we, all, we each have a little bit of a different role in the world, in the venture capital world. I'm happy again to answer, you know, if we miss something that, or you have a question, please feel free to put it in the chat at the bottom of your screen. We're going to jump now into PropTech. Um, so a little bit uh, of just a background, because sometimes um, we find that folks don't have a good understanding of what PropTech is, but at the very, very basic level, it's kind of the intersection of property and technology sometimes referred to as real estate tech, sometimes referred to as property technology, but really it's all technologies that impact the built world and the people, processes, and ecosystem that interact with it. So a little example on the right here of, of the ecosystem where you'll see prop tech in the center and, and everything surrounding it from FinTech to contact, which is construction tech, you know, the, the smart, all of the smart tech that, that we're seeing today due to COVID that we're gonna talk a little bit about. And then at the bottom of the screen, you'll see some notable prop tech examples just to kind of get your con contextually um, in the space around, you know, these are names that you probably have seen before. So we'll jump next into um, prop, the prop tech market map, which, um, if you haven't seen, it changes daily, um, but it's, uh, you know, quite of a, an eye, an eyesore <laughs> when, you look, when you try to uh, really break it down, but I thought it was helpful to, to really um, show you that there isn't any corner of real estate today that hasn't been touched by PropTech at this point. We see, we have approximately 10,000 startups um, today in the PropTech world. Um, you know, and you'll see here on the left side of, of the screen, hopefully, maybe it's a little small for you, apologies, but everything from data and analytics, which includes real estate, fintech, marketplaces, investment platforms, home buying, tech enabled and mortgage, you know, which has become big in COVID and blockchain to flexible, uh, you know, space, co-working spaces, tenant experience, smart build, everything smart, smart building, smart homes, the IOT component. Um, construction tech, which we're going to go deep into, um, all of the home services that have really accelerated most recently, and then workflow and workflow management, so process management, um, and then augment, you know, AR and VR, which is, you know, the augment and the virtual reality that you see sometimes if you're 
if you're looking at in doing home tours virtually. But but uh, again, PropTech is the entire world of real estate. So it's both commercial and residential um, and, and, every, and everything in between. So if we go to um, this next slide, you'll see the entire value chain um, of real estate um, across all of the global prop tech hubs. And then of course, touching every asset type uh, within real estate, whether it be office, retail, multifamily, um, and so on. So you'll see here some call outs of some of the, the, the real um, winners who have emerged in each of these categories, whether it be development and construction with Procure or, you know, payment and services with Lemonade. I'm sure you've heard of Zillow and the Diligence and Compass, which is a call out on the brokerage side and, and open door, of course, on the on the financing. So um, it's a quite quite a uh, busy world as it relates to, you know, uh, prop tech in, in real estate. From the standpoint of kind of just to, to, to summarize this for you before we jump into the market component, PropTech is the fastest growing segment over the last five years. You'll see here, if you, if you, you know, went back to 2012 or 13, uh, I don't think anybody even realized what PropTech was. Um, certainly it was, you know, still kind of out there being considered. Um, but today, more than ever, it's a huge generator of value. And you'll see this ends in 20. But in, if you were to go into 21, it, it will be, you know, uh, certainly back up at, and, and we're looking to exceed the 19 levels. But basically over 100 billion of prop tech enterprise value created through all these businesses. And then every, every, everyone within the real estate sector is leaning in and, and really whether it's, it's you know, deploying or, or developing technologies or investing and co-investing with us in, in specific startups. So it's a uh, it's very busy time in, in the prop tech world. From, the state, from uh, what we're going to go over and, and jump into next is the state of prop tech, which is more around the market. Um, some of the key takeaways, as I just mentioned, there's record activity across the board. Um, you know, more capital than than we know we we know what to do with. Um, PropTech, you know, the sentiment. You know, we we have a confidence index at Metaprop where we we do uh, twice a year, which which tells us the sentiment of both the CEOs investing in PropTech, but also the the CEOs on the on the startup side. Uh, it's at all time highs. Uh, we have one coming out in just a few weeks, um, which is also looking even um, higher than the, the last, the end of the year review. PropTech sector overall has, has really reached a stage of maturity, which we're, we'll talk to in a moment. From, from a PropTech sector, the stock performance, you'll see here, I think this is a, a very interesting graph to share on. Uh, it's an index that KPW actually created um, and it compares, you'll see uh, the black line at the top is PropTech, a PropTech index uh, overlaid on uh, the NASDAQ, the S&P 500 and Russell 2000. And so you'll see here, uh, it's, we feel it's an interesting way to, to look at prop tech, but the performance as compared to broader industries is, is you know, kind of just accelerated dramatically and, and outperformed almost all of the other indices over the last decade. The number of public companies has doubled over the last decade as well. And you know now uh, you'll see in the next page. You know there's an uptick also in prop tech IPOs um, due to this outperformance. You'll see here uh, the, the red highlighted areas are recent public 
my um, you know entrance uh, into the IPO space. Notable ones that I mentioned already as Encompass or Procure. I, I think um, Smart Rent, which is in um, the portfolio. Sophia, uh, maybe you could talk to us a little bit about since it's in yeah. your portfolio. Yeah. Uh, so so Smart Rent, uh, as Maureen mentioned, is is going public um, soon. So not not yet uh, IPO'd, but um, they're going public via SPAC, which I'm sure you all have uh, heard a lot about this year especially, or, or maybe last year. Um, just briefly uh, touching on what a SPAC is. Uh, SPAC is, stands for Special Purpose Acquisitions Company. Um, it's essentially a shell company set up by investors with the sole purpose of, of raising money through an IPO to eventually acquire uh, another company, in this case, Smart Rent, and, and take it public. Um, in terms of uh, you know double clicking on what smart rent actually is, uh, smart rents a smart access management platform. Um, so it connects, monitors, optimizes IoT devices for both single family and and multifamily properties. So think you know smart locks, smart thermostats, uh, leak detection hardware and software, and so on. Um, so the thought here at a, at a high level is. In addition to creating a, a better, more delightful experience for tenants, um, Smart Rent also has benefits for operators. So it allows them to monitor and protect assets, save money, create ancillary revenue. Um, and one of, you know, just to call out one example of, of how they do that is through their self-guided tour product. So this is something that came out during COVID. Um, and this product allows potential tenants to see apartments on their own which then enables uh, owners to, to cut down on, on broker fees. Um, obviously, this was something that kind of uh, inflected during COVID because, uh, because people didn't want other people uh, taking them around in their apartments so they could actually go see them on their own. Um, sample customers here, uh, just to, to call out a few recognizable names, um, AIMCO, Graystar, Equity Residential, Lennar um, uh, and, and a whole host of, of others. Um, happy to answer more questions on, on Smart Rent later on, but that's that's them on a, at a high level. And you'll find them here on, under the property management software category um, on this chart. Um, I think we addressed the question that came into the chat around the IPO on the SPAC. Sophia went deep on, on that. So let us know if, if there's additional questions there. Um, but you'll see here kind of the, the entrance, a, a good point to, to make here is they're not all IPO, but potential candidates. The two that have, are call outs are really are around Compass and, and Procure on, on this slide. Um, we'll move into uh, next. I'll add Maureen on the IPO side. Typically a company has to have at least $100 million in revenue to be considered for an IPO. That would be, that's kind of conventional wisdom, but it's not always the case. And that's a traditional IPO, not necessarily a SPAC. A SPAC can take a company that's not necessarily ready to go public, public earlier, um, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Kind of like, yes. kind of like a loophole. Adding on, on to that, Megan, um, some people ask, like, why would a company, uh, you know, choose SPAC versus IPO? There are a whole host of reasons, which I won't go into, but... Um, you know, super quickly, uh, some of the some of the reasons for that are it's it's faster than a traditional IPO. Um, so, 
a SPAC usually takes, call it three to six months or so, usually less than six months um, versus an IP, a traditional IPO process, which is usually about a year at, at the minimum, um, usually closer to a year and a half or two. Um, you know, it's cheaper. Uh, so with an IPO, most companies have to pay for what we call a roadshow, which is going around and pitching to investors and basically uh, gearing up for, for that process, which costs a lot of money. Um, and then access to operational expertise. So usually SPAC sponsors um, are industry professionals that have intimate experience with the company they're taking public. So in Smart Rent's case, Fifth Wall is the, is the acquisition partner and Fifth Wall is a prop tech uh, VC fund. So they have intimate experience um, in the space. Thanks, thanks, Sophia and, and Megan. Uh, we'll jump in next to really the the investment activity, um, which is at an all-time record pace. Um, funding continues to increase. Maturity in the industry here, you'll see on the bottom left, <clears throat> from seed to early stage and late stage, um, has is, is a new trend. Um, it's been, you know, traditionally more on the seed to early stage side, but we're seeing now, you know, much more advancement on the, the late stage. You'll see on the top left here, um, sort of the, 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 to the right, the 2021 activity is just off the charts and is, is you know, set to be at record levels. Um, the, the one call out I'll mention here, you'll see in the center, all of the, the venture deals that have happened or, or not all, I'll say some of the venture, most notable venture deals. Um, the one thing that's important to note is that FinTech has continued to be the largest vertical of, prop, of PropTech vendor investment, um, which is about 42% in the first half of, of 21 uh, on the deal side. And, and by dollar volume, the investment activity for, for, for that, it, it, it's at about 2.4 billion. So um, it's, it's a, a very active um, category. Um, it includes home buying platforms and, and mortgage and closing platforms, which we're gonna talk a little bit more about um, are two of the most active. Um, but then, but you know, just to, to kind of summarize here, the, the mix of the funding stages ha has shifted. So from mid to late stage rounds, it's up 235% so far in 21 versus 20, uh, 2020, while the seed and early stage that you'll see here in, in the darker blue color is up 124%. So that, that you'll see that shift happening over time. Um, from an MA activity, you know, kind of just pure, uh, deal deals you'll see here um, kind of annual records starting in 2021 with, at 132 132 deals uh, for first half of 21. It's very it's been a very acquisitive obviously uh, first half of the year um, greater numbers than we've seen in any other um, year. Also uh, you know more of the private players, um, aiming to kind of increase and scale their businesses by, by you know, accelerating it, it, through acquisitions. So it's, uh, it's been a very uh, busy year for all of us, but um, very from an MA activity, kind of just uh, record setting. SPACs we covered, but they remain active as, as Sophia mentioned. Um, you know, there's, there's quite a few um, you know, transactions that we could call out here that you probably would be very um, aware of, like, you know, Matterport, which is, you know, kind of a, 
a a um, photography VR type um, of, of software package. You know, you'll, I'm sure you'll, you, we just mentioned smart rent, um, which you'll see towards the bottom of the screen. Um, but, but I'd say overall, um, SPACs have been a big part of the story uh, for PropTech. And as we mentioned earlier, it, it's, it, they've made it much easier for, for folks to access the capital. Um, it's, it's, you know, kind of dozens of SPACs have consummated, been announced or focused on prop tech. There's, you'll see here on the right side of the screen, almost $40 billion in, in value. So um, the focus continues. We haven't seen any major underperforming, uh, you know, kind of SPACs yet, but it's, it's too early um, to tell, but it, it has been a very successful um, kind of way to, to access capital for many, for many startups. So we have a, I'm going to take a few questions here and pause for a minute. Um, how does a company go from series A to B to C? Um, <laughs> uh, that's really dependent. Well, Sophia, why don't you jump in on that one? I think that uh, you would be sure. best at that. Sure. So um, when a company, you know, starts out, uh, they they look to money to build their product. And, and by the way, all of this is super fluid. So there's no you know, accepted uh, definition of what's pre-seed, seed, A, B. Um, every company hits its own milestones uh, depending on you know, uh, what works for the founder, what they're building, how much money they need to build what they build uh, or what they wanna go and build and traction and so on. But as you know, at a high level, um, companies start with a pre-seed round and that's, you know, call it 500K, a million dollars, something like that to go out and build uh, an MVP of products, so a minimum viable product. What is the least amount that they could build to start proving product market fit, like that people actually want um, to buy what, what these they want to go build. So go prove that out. Um, once that's proven out, sometimes by, you know, a little bit of traction, they'll go ahead and raise a subsequent round, um, they'll raise more money and at hopefully a, a higher valuation, not, not always the case, but usually um, if, if things are trending in the right direction. Um, and then they'll use that money, uh, call it seed round, I don't know, it, again, it totally differs, but call it a few million bucks. Um, and it, hopefully they hit their target numbers. So investors will look at you know, revenue growth, for instance, or customer growth, or, um, you know, net revenue retention, meaning if I have customer A and they spent $10 on me last year, are they spending 12 or more dollars on me this year or, or did they churn? So things like that are markers to say, hey, like what they've built is, is actually working. And if that's the case, you know, if, if revenue is trending in the right direction, if you started with 10 customers and then after the seed, you now have 15 customers, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Then they'll usually be able to, to raise a subsequent round. So um, all of that's to say that it's super fluid, um, but founders will usually, you know, set out targets that they say, I want to raise this amount of money to get here. And if they're somewhere around there or close to tracking to, to what they said they would, um, investors will get excited about backing them again and at a higher valuation because the more revenue a company has, the, the more de-risked it is because you know people actually like uh, what they're selling. Um, hopefully that answered your question, but if you have any others, 
feel free to chime in. And I would just say that the that we're seeing today more than ever that that basic um, kind of channel from you know used to be say going A to to C or D might take you two three four or five years um, that that's the acceleration in, in in all the capital that we're seeing in the in the market has really narrowed that timeline down to you know eighteen to twenty four months so you're seeing folk seeing many of these startups go from seed to, to ABC um, much quicker today than they ever have. Yeah, and Maureen, that, that's actually a really good point. And uh, Megan, you'll keep me honest here. Megan and I share a portfolio company called Open Space, which I'll chime in about here because that's a perfect example of, of what you just mentioned, Maureen. So uh, Open Space raised a $55 million Series C earlier this year, and that's only less than a year after raising a $16 million Series B um, last summer. So within a year, they went from raising 16 to 55 million and, and upping their valuation pretty um, exceptionally, all due to really rapid growth and, and adoption. Um, so they've raised over, or I think right around $90 million um, in under four years since its inception. Um, I'll, I'll double click on, on what open space is for anyone interested as well. Um, so it's computer vision technology for construction sites. I like to say like Google Street View for construction sites uh, for anyone familiar with, with Google Street View. Um, so the platform enables virtual inspections, bid walks, safety checks, subcoordination, and, and ultimately creates a system of record of what actually happened on a site during construction and development. Um, at a high level, the, the goal is to help developers and GCs who are their, their customers to deliver buildings on time and, and under budget. Um, eventually, open space will, will sell to other stakeholders. Um, you know, it'll, it'll help insurers reduce claims and, and better price risk. Um, and ultimately lenders, which actually started using the, the product already uh, as a result of COVID, um, because they can now see what's going on on the site from the comfort of their homes. They don't have to actually go in. Um, so that enables more streamlined construction loan distributions um, and just limits the amount of stakeholders on site, which in a post-COVID world is, is obviously uh, something that was really attractive to customers. So um, tons of customers uh, of open space, you know, a lot of recognizable names, Acom, Brookfield, DPR, um, Skyline, Construction, Suffolk, Swinerton, Turner, Tishman Spire, the list kind of goes on and on. And that's kind of uh, why they've been able to continuously raise um, so quickly. Megan, feel, feel, feel free to feel, fill in if I missed anything. <laughs> no, I, I think you covered it. I was just gonna say real quick about the, uh, going from series A to series B, can they make the case and can they show why they wanna raise the money? That's really what it comes down to. I mean, it's, it's um, there's no cut and dry. There's no rule necessarily. Is an investor comfortable putting money in at the valuation at the time? And if they are, it could be, may, they may not have grown. They may have lost customers, but they see the potential in the company and they say, you know, now's the time. So it, there's no, there's no rule. Um, obviously different VCs have rules on, on when they spend money and so on and so forth. But as it relates to open space, I was just going to add that um, they're one of our most successful por portfolio companies to date. And when I say successful, I mean the JLL fit is there. Um, our project managers in our basically construction group called uh, Project and Development Services, PDS, they're using 
the open space cameras. They're actually walking the sites every day and they're bringing, uh, they're sparking joy for customers. They're, they are improving their service delivery model. They're allowing their customers, sometimes the customer could be the GC, sometimes it could be the client directly. They don't have to go to the site. They used to have to travel you know, every other week and that could be out of state. They no longer have to do that. So it's a huge win for us because our project managers are so happy. They don't have to be there as often. The clients don't have to be there as often. Um, it's just, it's been a massive win for us. Um, and I think you'll see more of that in the future with, with other firms like JLL. So we're really excited about, about open space. <clears throat> Thanks guys. <clears throat> uh, second question. I'll just, um, the, the deck can be shared. Yes. And, um, we are recording the session, so, uh, you'll, you'll be able to access both, uh, following the session. Um, so we're going to jump in next into, um, you know, how PropTech has accelerated due to COVID. I think uh, Faisal actually mentioned it uh, in his, in his uh, intro remarks, but McKinsey actually has assessed it and, and feels that over the last, that we've accelerated by five years forward in digital adoption in a matter of eight weeks. Um, that, that's, that's probably the most extreme I've seen, but as, as Faisal mentioned, um, seven years for global, six years for North America, it, they're all big numbers, right? It, it's, it's been, you know, crazy 18 months. Um, and we've, you know, certainly captured a lot of value along the way and in, in the number of companies that have entered public markets. And, you know, I think everyone understands that it's, it's been, you know, a, a, a net accelerator COVID of, of PropTech. When we think about it, the, um, from a Metaprop perspective here, the, you know, we look at this kind of two by two as a way to look at technologies in, in, in the different categories, one being already in motion and now was accelerated by COVID, two being, you know, it, it had limited prior activity and is now activated due to COVID. And then um, three being previously in motion um, and now under pressure. So you'll see within each, um, you know, and this, obviously this was done, you know, at the beginning of COVID. So it's, it's, it changes daily. Um, so to keep it current, we would, we would be editing this uh, almost daily. So you'll see here, you know, from a, from a in motion perspective, all things, from a COVID perspective around, you know, getting, you know, back to work and getting folks um, comfortable and safety and security within, you know, kind of an office setting and, and all things tech related around that, whether it's, you know, kind of, you'll see here, you know, some of the HVAC and environmental quality, you know, air quality, the occupancy usage and monitoring, touch-free interaction is, you know, is, is, is at the top of, of the list. Uh, how you access and exit, you know, spaces. How how do you monitor, um, you know, how how many how many are folks are in the space at any one time? So, robotic cleaning, thermal scanning, and contact tracing early on were were very um, big big around, you know, kind of accelerating that area for for obvious reasons. Um, then on the flip side, where we saw the co working co living um, at the beginning of of COVID. Um, really take the the decline, uh, and as well as um, kind of some of the brokerage um, technologies. So you'll see here, 
um, you know, we what we wanted to do really was to think to help you think about kind of the different things that have happened it, around COVID, and then jump in on this next slide to really some of the notable themes that that we've seen and, and really go deep on them with you, so that we could spend some time talking about some of the questions you you had asked. Um, so it, I might um, on this slide um, really jump into with Sophie and Megan and and talk about a little bit about emerging technologies in CRE and what you what you all are seeing um, and, and and then you know maybe a second question around but let's start with actually the investment thesis has it changed post COVID are you how, what are you how are you guys feeling about that and maybe each of you could just touch on it a bit I can start. Um... Sparks investment thesis has not changed overall. We already knew these things were going to happen. Not obviously not COVID. We knew that we were moving towards a more hybrid work experience, for instance, that has been accelerated and that this, it's happening now. We, we knew it would happen in the next 10 years. We already saw our clients doing it. Um, so we knew it was inevitable, COVID accelerated it. I think the things that have changed, um, there is, and this is part of, um, the benefit of working for a, a CVC is the feedback we get from clients. I hear constantly, do you have anything in smart cleaning? Do you have anything in smart cleaning? How do we know quality control of the cleaning, um, usage-based cleaning? And some of our portfolio companies are doing that or pivoted to be able to do that. So a Verge Sense now can use the same ceiling-based sensors they were, they're already using to identify areas that have not been occupied and tell cleaners, send cleaners in the direction of places that have been occupied all day, for instance. Um, InfoGrid is another company that aggregates sensor data that we've invested in um, and they've come up with a smart cleaning solution. So there's a lot of excitement around smart cleaning. And I, I think we all realize now, like we would like our environments to be cleaner anyways. So COVID has really just like reminded us of how much we touch and how dirty everything we come to, into contact is. Um, we are also looking for technologies that reduce the risk of contagion. So touchless, anything touchless, uh, keyless entry, that kind of thing. Um, and then finally, improving remote collaboration. And I don't think that there's a solution there. I, we have not seen it, at least. I don't know, Sophia, if you've seen it, but figuring out how to bridge the gap between the physical work environment and the digital experience you have working from wherever you are. And I think we all we all know, and I work for JL, and I can tell you it's not necessarily seamless all the time. So that's an area that we're, we're actively um, kind of investigating um, and hearing from clients about. Um, so those are some themes and some focus areas for us moving forward. But again, long-term strategy is still somewhat the same. Thanks, Megan. Sophia? Yeah, so um, I'd say mostly our strategy is the same, but a little bit different. And I'll, I'll touch on one, um, one of those reasons why. So um, Maureen, if you go back to the, the slide prior, um, if you see on the top left, you see co-working, co-living, alternative accommodation. So all of those fall under the category of master leases. Um, so using a master lease model, um, operators will lock in base rents uh, which they pay to landlords, and then they sublease um, those those apartments or spaces uh, to renters at a premium. So basically, the idea is that these startups increase density and or improve operational efficiency, create rent you know lift or arbitrage, um, which is the difference between what they pay to landlords and what renters pay them. 
Um, so seemingly like that worked pretty well. You know, you, you're probably all familiar with WeWork, I guess is, is the big name there, um, at least in, in co-working. Uh, um, and then obviously COVID hit. Um, and, and what happened there is suddenly operators ran out of Lyft because they were on the hook for all of these rents to, that they owed their landlords, but they couldn't actually sell them to customers. Um, and at the end of the day, many of these startups struggled to keep up with costs um, and eventually many of them went out of business. Um, so all that is to say is that that's a super capital intensive, low margin, um, non-recurring business model. Um, so we kind of thought to ourselves, what, what's kind of accelerated here? And if you look on the, on the top right, a lot of that you'll see different software um, solutions. So we uh, at 94 we we believe that you know the the companies best positioned to succeed are are those leveraging higher margin um, lower capital intense uh, models selling through into um, stakeholders uh, who, and and offering um, you know cost optimization technologies by whether whether it's by increasing operational efficiencies or uh, increasing productivity or throughput, or there are a bunch of ways to do that. Um, but I guess that's a long-winded way of saying uh, we're focusing a little bit more on software models and a little bit less on on like higher capital intensive um, propco models. Awesome, thank you. So from from a themes perspective, just to, to go a little deeper, so everything um, you know, return to work tech is is pre pretty much on everyone's list, and we're we're seeing some callouts there. Data um, it, from the perspective of you know COVID, everyone uh, you know kind of from an LP perspective is very interested in how to how to get their behavioral data, their sensor data, and, and you know their, their their property data you know, and, and get it into a place where they can use it effectively to make decisions. And so we're seeing a lot around that. Of course, carbon tax sustain everything, all things sustainability are, you know, big um, in, in the world right now, including especially a big push towards energy management um, and, and all things tech related to that. Um, you know, I think that you know, we, we certainly are, you know, kind of deep in the construction tech that was accelerated by COVID uh, for obvious reasons. We, you know, had a lot of construction going on at the time and getting people back in to complete those projects was, was you know, particularly important. Um, all things customer and user experience, uh, you know, as Faisal mentioned at the beginning, the employees and empowering employees and, and, and making employees comfortable, um, um, whether whether it's um, the user or you know your customers and, and getting them um, on a journey that's seamless um, has been two big focuses um, this year. And then lastly, as we mentioned earlier, fintech has been has been a big push and has been probably the the, the has, has seen the largest growth um, over the last year. Um, I'll I'll um, open it up here. I think um, you maybe Sophia, you want to touch on a couple of your portfolio companies. I think you, you sure. hit a couple of them already, but maybe in the construction tech or fintech. Sure, uh, I'll I'll touch on one and then leave time uh, for anyone who has questions. Um, so if you see on the bottom in the fintech, uh, you'll see Bowery there. So. Bowery Valuation is actually a, a company we share with Metaprop. Um, so it's a portfolio company of, of both of ours. Um, so 
It's a vertically integrated commercial appraisal firm. So what that means is um, the founders, they built a proprietary cloud native um, software to then power their business. So they actually do still hire um, commercial real estate appraisers. But the difference here is they built technology around them to automate tasks. So think like comps, photos, uh, you know, zoning guidelines, everything they need to make them more productive. Um, and that way each appraiser can do the work of three, uh, three traditional appraisers. Um, that obviously increases margins and they can give some of that back to their customers, enabling you know, faster, cheaper, um, and better ultimately uh, appraisals at the end of the day. So as you can imagine during COVID, this, this business got hit. Um, there were fewer transactions happening and fewer transactions means fewer appraisals. Um, however, what was interesting was that even though there were fewer transactions, their customer numbers swiftly went up. And um, that was because the people who actually were transacting now wanted a digital and also a cheaper alternative. Um, and in comes Bowery with, you know, to the rescue. So as soon as uh, transaction numbers came back up, Bowery's revenue numbers jumped um, and they, they actually subsequently just raised a, a pretty meaningful um, Series B from Goldman Sachs uh, and have since been, been doing pretty well. Um, so that's, that's an example of like how COVID affected both negatively and, and positively on, on a business. Hey, Sophia. So we'll open it up here um, when the remaining kind of seven, eight minutes that we have for questions. Um, you know, you can either enter them in the chat or I, I think you, you, they, they can open it up for you to actually ask the question. Not certain about that, but um, and at least um, you can enter any of them in, in the chat. And while you're thinking about that, the one thing, the one question from um, the list that we were given that was most interesting to you all was, you know, kind of what prop tech technologies are, are most interesting today for, for occupiers and, you know, why, why we're uh, thinking through that and we'll all kind of weigh in. I, I would say we're, we're seeing, um, you know, definitely as, as we mentioned, you know, the, the occupiers as tenants at least are, are definitely um, have the advantage of having access to all kinds of technologies to manage space uh, and their occupancy that they, you know, that didn't exist prior to COVID and that is continuing to accelerate whether it's you know, managing your, your employees um, through all of the HR tech that's out there now or, or who's in the office, who's remote, working remotely or um, you know, kind of how, how much, where you'd like them to sit and how do you space the, the office, you use that space appropriately to you know, the actual lease, your actual leases, right? And you know, someone like occupier.com, which we invested in this, this year, you know, that basically helps you with your, your lease administration and helps you understand um, when, you know, what's within your lease and when, you know, specific, um, you know, pieces of, of the terms are, are going to be expiring. And so, the, you know, the, the, there are all kinds of technologies out there now for occupiers that didn't exist before and that have accelerated quite a bit uh, due to COVID. Um, I'll, I'll um, pause for a moment uh, as we got a couple of questions here. Um, can... 
PropTech each, uh, each tackle one-off problems interested in your perspective that as occupiers think about this, how can we manage a suite of applications and integration of intelligence? I can comment on that. Um, sure. I, I don't think there is an answer, but um, Spark, and I think we're, we're hearing this from clients, but there's, there's a uh, massive appetite for um, integrated solutions versus these uh, point solutions that are for discrete problems. So to give you an example, SaltMine, I know Frigid is on this call. Um, work, the workplace data is very fragmented. SaltMine's created a platform to be able to view all of this data in one place with uh, multiple stakeholders and multiple data sources. Um, so that's a good example of an investment we made that we're excited about it because it does aggregate all those things together. Uh, open space is similar in that it brings all of these stakeholders from a project onto one platform where they can all uh, view a project, uh, see how it's going, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I, I think there's going to be a massive amount of consolidation moving forward and no real player has stepped up at this point because there are so many discrete solutions. Um, but I think there's a huge need. And I would say too, um, just to add to that, Megan, that the enterprise providers we're seeing more today, they're, they're stepping up as well. So you kind of have the, the old traditional enterprise providers like the Siemens and, and you know, um, others like that and Johnson Controls and others like them um, in the world where they're actually moving quickly, quickly to kind of expand their offerings to compete with the startups. And so um, it, it will be interesting to watch. Um, I don't, I'll let you weigh in, Sophia, um, if there's uh, anything you'd like to add before we go to the next question. No, I think you guys covered it. So, so Maureen, I'll add that JLL is building for the same problem as well. They just recently launched Zara, which is a BI tool that would aggregate all the data at the building level. So everyone's, I think, competing to get there because that is the massive opportunity. And I don't even know if a startup could could handle that big of an opportunity. It's it's that big and it's that big of a problem. Well, the issue is it's a matter of, of, of sharing data, right? So it, it's, you know, it's like all of the landlords sharing their data or all the brokerage firms sharing their data. At some point, you know, we'll get, we'll have to get to a, a place where, you know, all of the data is consolidated so that it can be truly effective. But I think we're a long ways from there. In the meantime, the startups are integrating with each other, though. Vergence yes. integrates with SaltMine. Vergence integrates with uh, InfoGrid. Disruptive Technologies in, uh, integrates with InfoGrid. There's, uh, we're seeing a ton of partnerships being formed, uh, even within our portfolio company family, but I'm sure you know outside of us as well. So, for sure. So let's jump, yeah, let's jump into cybersecurity. Um, it is definitely a huge problem and one that. Uh, we're seeing more and more prop tech, you know, engagement, um, but one that's, you know, still, you know, we're not seeing yet in, in, North, in North America as much as we have seen the, the shifts in, in the uh, prop tech in Asia and Europe. But I do see that it, it is it is expanding and I'm trying to think nothing yet in our portfolio as it relates to cybersecurity. I'm not sure on either Megan or Sophia, if you have seen anything on your end. Um, I've seen, a, so I've seen a couple companies, um, nothing we've invested in yet, focused on cybersecurity specifically within IOT. Um, so like connected home devices, if, if those get hacked, obviously it's a, it's a big problem. If people who aren't supposed to open your lock can open your lock, 
there are different technical ways that that companies like smart rent for instance have have gotten around that for instance um using like a cell service provider versus its own hosting network um and then to be honest it gets pretty technical from there so uh i'm not going to attempt to answer exactly how it's done um but but we've seen a, a few companies in that space but less less of a of a big um of a, of a big space that we've that we've seen a lot of companies in okay thank you so um, i'm happy to answer Lindsay's Lindsay's question question next as well quickly if that's helpful yeah uh, i'll jump in i'll start with the early stage piece and then sure, sure jump in i i would say from from early stage startups the things that we're seeing that are i think are most well first of all i think that there's very few things that that weren't started prior to covid right that they they we, we had quite a bit of traction i'm rolling into covid you know i i do believe that the the things that are mo that have gotten most traction um to your question that might not have had as much pre-COVID would have been, you know, more around, you know, sustainability, which, you know, had its own, it's had its own track due to the, due to the change in, in, you know, our, our presidency. And then, and then two would be for me uh, more around um, data. I think that there was a, a big, big um, push and it's very exciting to see what's happening um, as it relates to digital twins and the, the whole concept of, of twinning a building and, and being able to operate it um, remotely. So those, those would be my, my uh, view on, on the early stage. Sophia? Yeah, uh, what I would say I think is super interesting is that COVID acted as a, as a forcing function for um, traditional stakeholders to, to look to and, and adopt technology. So companies, um, you know, quote unquote startups are competing with huge incumbents. So just uh, to name a few on the insurance side, we now have Hippo that actually recently uh, went public, which is a digitally native direct uh, homeowners insurance carrier that's competing with the likes of you know State Farm and Liberty Mutual and and these nationwide these really big names. Um, and I think the reason for that is because COVID uh, exposed a gap and people wanted cheaper alternatives, so they were more likely to go to. Um, you know, a lesser known brand name startup just because it's cheaper. Um, so things like the, like Hippo have inflected, um, you know, and, and as people rushed out of cities into, into the suburbs during COVID um, and mortgage volumes steadily increased, um, there was a bunch of software that, that capitalized on that. I'm sure a lot of you have heard of Better, Better Mortgage, um, which is a tech enabled uh, digital mortgage lender and they were competing against the likes of, you know, really big name banks and, and have seen some uh, nice market share there as well. So for me, what's exciting is the fact that these startups and digitally native companies are showing that they can compete with, uh, with the big guys. Hey, thanks, Sophia. Um, so I think we're we're up on our hour. Um, I wanted just to say thank you to both Sophia and Megan for for uh, joining me and um, Basil for for um, getting organizing all of the entire um, you know kind of panel here today and then lastly thank you to all of you for participating if there's anything um, please you know any additional questions we didn't answer please reach out to us um, individually and you'll also be able to um, you know download the presentation and the 
uh, the recording uh, from Cornet. Thanks all. Have a great day. Thank you, Maureen. Thank, Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Yeah. Bye.